0: Hi there, welcome to another episode of the Self Helpless Podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher and Kelsey Cook cannot be here today, unfortunately. Kelsey is dealing with some family things, so feel free to send her some extra love right now if you can. Today's topic is one of the highest requested topics by our listeners. This is also a topic our Patreon members voted on in our Patreon community. And full disclosure, the episode today is more of a Q&A style versus our usual conversational style, just because I really wanted to get as many of our listener questions and concerns answered and addressed as possible. So there was not much time wasted in between questions. I really just kind of rattled one off after the other and got to as many as I could. So just a heads up on that. Today's guest is just Wow. We have narcissism expert, licensed clinical psychologist, best-selling author, professor of psychology, distinguished speaker, and workplace consultant, Dr. Ramani Durvasila. She's been featured on Oxygen, The Today Show, Good Morning America, Bravo, and Lifetime, just to name a few. And in this episode, we talk about narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder, why narcissists behave the way they do, how to spot the signs that you have a narcissist in your life, how to safely leave a relationship with a narcissist, what people might experience after leaving a narcissistic relationship, and a lot more. I could have asked a hundred more questions during this interview. It really flew by. We are thrilled to have Dr. Romani on today's episode. Let's get into it. Dr. Romney, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you so for having thrilled. me. <laughs> thank you. Uh, we love to kick off the show with a quote. Do you have mm-hmm. a favorite quote you'd like to I share?
1: do. And I wrote it down. So it's in my phone. It's, it's by a, a writer many people may not have heard of, but I hope they do. The quote is this, the changes we dread most may contain our salvation. Hmm. I love and that. It's by a writer named Barbara Kingsolver, who is my favorite living writer, and so it's like everything that she writes is profound. But that one, when I work with survivors of narcissistic relationships, it sometimes means ending a relationship or going forward, like you know, maybe ending contact with a family member. Those are changes yeah. they dread most, but by making that change, it often is that their salvation.
0: Oh, I love that. That is that is a good one. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Um, so let's get right into it, shall we? Sure. This is mm-hmm. our one of our highest requested topics from all Great. of our listeners. So we're very <clears throat> excited. And these questions are going to be a mix of our listener questions and, and all across the board. So Great. first, um, what led to you getting into this work with mm-hmm. uh,
1: around narcissism and NPD? So lots of different pathways, as often is the case. I was actually doing research. I'm a professor at California State University, of Los Angeles. And in doing my research there, I got really interested actually in that, in the idea that some people really treat people who work in the healthcare industry really badly. So that there are some patients who come in, they scream at the reception desk, they scream at the nurses, they scream at the doctors. And I was getting feedback from a clinic where this was happening. I'm thinking, well, first of all, This person is not going to get good medical services because everyone just wants to give them the bumps, rush and be done with them. But in the same way, it's also I'm thinking, what is happening here? Because this is going to have implications for a whole host of other behaviors. So that launched me in a career to generally look at personality disorders. But I was particularly interested in these ones that made people very high conflict. Mm -hmm. At the same time, because I'm also a psychologist in practice, I was seeing more and more and more clients come in and tell me similar, same like this, talk about these high conflict, really invalidating gaslighting marriages and they'd some of them had been in them for 20 30 40 50 years thinking why isn't anyone just telling them like about the personality of the person they're married to well it's because we're taught not to as therapists I thought let me just give them like say listen here's when a person acts like this this is often the reasons and they say well can this change I'm like no it's not going to change and they said well and they said I've been in therapy with five other therapists and they all said I could communicate I said oh no girl you're not going to be able to communicate around this. And so, and in, in doing that, I had launched a mini revolution without meaning to, cause I thought, why not just speak truth and let people do the right thing with, instead of trying to soft pedal on this and try to send so- self this message on marriage is great and relationships are great. and It's just communication. I'm like, this isn't communication. You could skywrite this. You can wear a neon sign around your neck. Right. Yeah. It's like you. And wow. that's, and then I thought, Then what happened was many times the clients were sort of so overwhelmed in the sessions that I would, they'd say, could you just give me a quick little email summary? And I'd have to write their notes anyhow. So I'd send them a little email summary. And over time, I'm thinking, these email summaries are, first of all, it's just tedious. I'm not going to get doing this. But second of all, I said, there's a book here. And that led me to write, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Surviving Relationship with a Narcissist. Then 2016 happened. Doesn't matter what your politics are. 2016 happened. And this word narcissist really came into the public purview. So when I was doing this work, pretty much from 20 2008 forward nobody cared
0: and i was like okay i'm,
1: I'm an academic no we do we do our little quiet little things in our quiet little labs and i did my quiet thing in my office and then i started working with some media mental health companies and all of that around 2017 18 but 2016 everything changed everyone talked about the word and then i had been doing the work for years at that point so i thought wow. okay i guess maybe people need to know about this and that's how it all happened yeah
0: Wow, that is fascinating that what's the reason behind people telling like psychologists or mental health professionals not to talk about
1: narcissism or NPD? Because the way people are taught when you're a therapist is you're not ever supposed to sort of offer a diagnosis of someone you haven't met. You're oh, not even God. really supposed to speculate on someone you haven't met. And I do that all the time. You know, in fact, my favorite <laughs> professor, my, uh, one of my favorite professors, smart, one of my smartest professors in graduate school caught a group of us in my first year of grad school sitting in a corner gossiping. And he was like a real, like a giant in the field. And we were like, oh my God, we look like such an idiot in front of this guy now. And he's like, you know what the side of a good psychologist is? a gossip because you are so <laughs> curious about people that you're actually in this corner. I was like, I always remembered that he has since passed away, but I always remembered his words. And I think, mm. so I, I do, I, I don't diagnose people. I don't met, but I'm like, mm, this is not an okay pattern. And right. I talk more in terms of patterns. I mean, the word narcissism is like a bucket that holds all these other words. So it's convenient, but I recognize that the, when my clients were coming in, they weren't talking about a one-off. They were talking about things that have been happening consistently from their first date to now and it was much more subtle early in the relationship and then it got worse and worse and worse but these weren't things happening once these were things that had happened hundreds if not thousands of times these were so we're supposed to not speculate that's, okay. our, that's what we're told not to do. Yeah. Gotcha. So for some of
0: our listeners, this is going to be their first introduction into mm-hmm. what NPD is. Can you share what is narcissistic mm-hmm. personality disorder and or narcissism?
1: I'm going to start with talking about narcissism first, because that's the topic that's going to be more relevant to the people on this, you know, listening to this um, podcast. So narcissism is a personality style characterized by a lack of empathy or very variable empathy, entitlement, grandiosity. Arrogance, being very superficial, being very seeking of validation and admiration, um, being uh, very, very, very sensitive to criticism, being able to dish it out, but you can't take it. There's a lot of hypocrisy. They can be very controlling. Um, They they, they can be prone to jealousy if they feel like someone's getting something they're not. Um, They are... Uh, also th- they're very rageful and they have a lot of trouble regulating strong emotions and they're very impulsive. They sort of do and say whatever they want, whenever they want, shoot first, ask questions later, or ask, offer apologies later. Mm-hmm. And they're very egocentric, but all of that is around a core, deep insecurity. These are deeply insecure people, which is why they have all these really antagonistic, difficult kinds of grandiosity. Like I'm the greatest, right? If you keep saying I'm the greatest enough, maybe you'll believe it. And be able to push back on that unresolved insecurity which is what they all have and so that's narcissism now in order for it to elevate to the level of a personality disorder that's where we look for things like um, the person's the person's narcissistic style is causing them what we call social or occupational impairment mean it's meaning it's causing that they believe and they notice it's causing them problems in work and their relationships and that and or that they have what we call subjective distress that they themselves are uncomfortable here's where it gets tricky people with narcissistic personality styles don't tend to be very self-reflective they don't tend to stop stop and sit back and say ooh golly my personality sure causing a lot of people for, a lot of problems for a lot of people right. they're saying the other people are the problem and that's a very classical dynamic in narcissism is they deflect blame onto other people that's someone else's fault I'm not responsible for that. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. That's, all every, that's always someone else's fault. Never they own. They never take responsibility for anything. And so as a result, they don't, they, they don't even notice their marriage isn't going well. And even when it is, they blame their spouse. Um, they don't even notice that they're wreaking havoc at work. Maybe one day they get fired. They're like, oh, everyone's out to get me. So they don't, they and and for many narcissists, the world goes their way. We enable these patterns because they're so charismatic, they're so charming, they're so confident when you first meet them that a lot of people say, well, they gotta be doing something, right? If they're like this, and because they can be quite ruthless, especially in business, they're often quite successful. And Mm -hmm. so people, well, they, they can't be such a bad person. They're so successful at what they do. And I say the two are mutually exclusive at times. And so for all these reasons, not everybody who has this style would meet the criteria for having the disorder. To me, the disorder is irrelevant. If you've got oh. this personality pattern, I don't care it's not about diagnosis to me. It's about the problems you're causing for other people by behaving like this. And the fact is at the core of it, a narcissistic person, because they're so insecure, is actually very uncomfortable and they need help too, but they're just really resistant to it. Mm, wow.
0: Okay, so are there different types of narcissism? Can it be displayed in different ways?
1: Ab- absolutely can be displayed in different ways. I often think of it sort of in like six, maybe seven different ways. The most classical way we think of narcissism is the grandiose narcissist. Look at me, I'm so great, I'm so cool. No one's got a better car than me. I've got so many muscles, I'm so attractive. Instagram, <laughs> Instagram, like, 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 I'm an influencer, like it's a lot of that stuff. That's right. more of the grandiose narcissist. Okay. Then we have the covert narcissist. The covert narcissist is not as well understood, but probably a lot more people encounter it than 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 they think. It's characterized by resentment, sullenness, this sense that I deserve better. The world never gave me what I deserved, So they're entitled, but not entitled to, I'm too important to wait in the line. It's more like, oh, I deserve so much more than what life has given me. That's the kind of entitlement. They often portray themselves as victims. And people around them often feel that they should try to rescue them or help them because they kind of feel they seem so downtrodden. And that's how they they often portray themselves to the world. The third type is a type we call communal narcissism, which is a subtype where people um, in this case, they get their validation by doing good things for the world. So they will go out and they will. they will rescue animals, and they will have big fundraisers, and they will they will do things to make themselves look good to the world. But they're not necessarily just doing those do gooder things for the greater good. They're doing it for themselves mm-hmm. to get validation. Oh, what a humanitarian, or what a good person. And they are, they are like you know these are people who will be sponsoring a village of children on the other side of the world, but don't give their own children at home the time of day. Mm-hmm. They are people who are on the gala stage saying, wow, oh, they're like, great humanitarian. But the minute the lights are off and the doors are closed, they're screaming at their partner. This is the person oh. who's called a pillar of the community by everyone. And it's somebody's father. And yet as a father, they're really cool and abusive. And yet their children feel and their spouse feels completely unable unable to say anything because everyone thinks of this person as sort of like the pillar of the community. So that's a communal narcissist. The next kind of narcissist is the malignant narcissist. This is probably the most dangerous form of narcissism because these are people who are not only, you know, lack empathy and all the rest of it, but they're also, they can be very exploitative, like really take advantage of people, shake money down from them, you know, manipulate, you know, money, sex, you name out of them. there's something very menacing about them. Like they're always sort of like, this sense of a threat always hanging out there. Like you better not mess with me. That's all I've got to say. Like they like that kind of menacy feel they put out there. They're, they can be very paranoid. They always feel everyone's out to get them. And they can be quite sadistic. Like they actually, in a divorce, for example, um, uh, man, uh, a malignant narcissist can be quite dangerous. They'll fight for custody, not even because they like the kids, but because they know that'll really hurt the other parent. So they're very, very, very motivated by taking revenge. I'm going to get this person's going to pay for this for the rest of their lives. They will file lawsuits, that kind of thing, anything to bring harm onto others. Another form of narcissism is the neglectful narcissist. The neglectful narcissist is the sort of person who just has so little empathy for others that they just simply stop noticing them until they need them. So they tend to view people as conveniences that, you know, it's a bit like my phone. I'm not really paying attention to my phone now, but the moment I need my phone, I'm looking for it. I'm aware of it. They treat people that way. So when they need them, they'll pay attention to them. But at all other times, they just don't care. They're completely cut off. And then finally, Mm -hmm. there's the self-righteous narcissist. And the self-righteous narcissist is really sort of Hyper moralistic, above it all. They they believe they live their lives at this very high level, and they tend to look down in this really contemptuous way at other people. They criticize like, I can't believe you put that in your mouth. I live clean, or right. you know, I I am the most loyal person, and they often are deeply loyal, but they're loyal and abusive at the same time. So they may not be the narcissists who cheat and all of that. They're very very in a way can look really straight and narrow, but they. They use their morality as a way to almost beat people over the head and their loyalty feels more like a prison than it does like a real sort of devotion to someone else. They, they're, they're very judgmental. They're very dismissive. If you do one thing that they don't like, they will make an example of it. People, when they're in the presence of a self-righteous narcissist will often say, I feel like I'm constantly a nine-year-old who's getting in trouble. They're very Mm -hmm. scoldy.
0: Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit carvana.com today.
1: And then the final piece, and this isn't really a type of narcissism, but an overarching theme that we need to keep in mind is that these patterns can be very cultural and very generational in cultures that tend to be deeply patriarchal, deeply authoritarian, very hierarchical with big gaps between those at the top and those at the bottom. Those are cultures that really beget narcissism or enable or incentivize narcissism, especially if you're somebody who holds power in those societies. And what that can mean is that when a person maybe leaves one of those societies and comes to a culture where it's not, that's not so much like that, that pattern may last. And these patterns tend to run in families. So in that way, when there is a, let's say a 30 year old narcissistic person, they may have a 60 year old narcissist narcissistic parent and a 90-year-old narcissistic grandparent. And so it's because it's so intergenerational, the family doesn't even notice that the pattern is toxic.
0: Wow. I didn't know there were so many different Mm -hmm. (laughs) ways that
1: somebody could be a Mm -hmm. narcissist. Yeah.
0: So what like how does somebody develop narcissism? Are you born with it? Is it like, is it nature versus nurture? Do you does it happen over time? Does something traumatic happen? It's, it's probably
1: not something someone's born with. I think what right. a person may end up being born with is a difficult temperament. Mm. So there's babies out there. If anyone's ever spent time with a baby or a small child, there's some kids that are more difficult. They are. They <laughs> tend to be more maybe colicky as babies. They tend to be a bit more attention-seeking. They tend not to, like, they're just kind of, They need, 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 and they're difficult, difficult, difficult. And that almost starts, sets up a cycle where they are um, antagonizing everyone in their worlds. And people are always nice to kids like this, right? The the parents lose patience. The teachers lose patience. Even their peers lose patience. It does make you wonder, for some kids, if there's not sort of this intersection between their temperament and the world not really liking them, that insecurity growing, and then them figuring out these sort of superficial ways to maintain validation because they think if they get validation, they'll be safe. In some cases, what we're seeing is these are, these are children who, uh, and it, it gets mostly made, it's very little born. So in some kids, they're very, very overindulged with regards to stuff like go on vacations and they have the latest gadgets and toys and they live in a nice place. And, but their parents are nowhere to be found emotionally. So the parents will like buy the things and do the things, but nobody's really nurturing the child or the child only gets noticed when they're doing things that the parent wants them to do. Oh, there's my basketball playing guy. But let's say basketball playing guy switches interest. That parent may no longer be interested in them. So the child learns things are very conditional. That's another way we can make narcissism. In some cases, narcissism is a response to trauma. And so, this idea that that cutting off of emotion, that, that being distanced from empathy and, um, not being capable of intimacy and all of that, that distancing can definitely be something you would see in somebody who's experienced trauma. But again, the majority of trauma survivors are not narcissistic. So that's only a, that's a one path, but it's, it's not all people experience trauma. And, um, you know, and then I think it is. It, it, there's a lot of people who believe that narcissism is a manifestation of a certain attachment issue. So attachments are. We look at attachment through our early, early relationships with our early caregivers. They're usually parents. As a person who's securely attached is someone who feels safe in the world, who feels that they can call upon people and people will respond to them. They feel secure in themselves. They have a, a well shaped identity, and they can enter healthy adult relationships. People who are narcissistic are believed to have what are called anxious and avoidant attachments. In anxious attachments, you often wonder if somebody's going to leave you. Um, when you. When they say goodbye, there's a bit of chaos. When you come back together, there's a bit of chaos. And avoidant attachments are seen in people who are actually somewhat disinterested in what should be significant people in their lives. So in this big stew of things I'm telling you, all of this mixes up. And that's in, in some mix of all of this is how we create a narcissist. Narcissistic parents beget narcissistic children, but not all the time. Some people listening to this podcast will say, Yep, yeah, I had a parent who's a narcissist and I have one sibling who's a narcissist and the rest of us are really anxious. And that's mm-hmm. usually how it goes. It's not all the kids in the system. Though I have seen that. There are some families where I've seen two, three children grow up to be narcissistic. But when there's a narcissistic parent, it does tend to be that it's only one and other children grow into a different kind of an adulthood pattern. We don't even use this label. and I don't think it's right to call, use the label of narcissistic until somebody's over the age of 25. Mm. Almost by definition and by design, adolescents are narcissistic, not because they're mean and awful, but because the way their brain is developing and differentiating, they're deeply egocentric and they're building out to their own sense of identity. They're impulsive. It all has to do with how these frontal lobes, and other neuronal connections are being made between this area of the brain and others. So I always tell parents, here's the thing. I don't know what's gonna happen. Don't call your 17 year old a narcissist. You're gonna have to wait till they're 25 or 26. If they're still narcissistic at 26, you'll say, I saw that one coming. But you may also find this child who rises up, the brain does what it's supposed to do. They get hit with the realities of emerging adult life and they start functioning not as sort of selfish, not willing to empty the dishwasher creatures that wander through the world and that maybe that's just my problem with my kids
0: right okay so i'd imagine if if the very nature of narcissism is not being able to take responsibility or not being self-reflected reflective i'd imagine this is probably hard to diagnose as somebody are they are they like seeking treatment is it hard to diagnose somebody with narcissism if they're not really
1: seeking help so people who are narcissistic, you're right. They're less likely to seek out therapy. However, stuff's always going wrong in their lives because they're always aggravating people. So uh-huh. a narcissistic person may have their partner leave them or their marriage end. They'll go into therapy saying, my marriage is over and I was over. My, my partner told me I have to come to therapy or they come and saying, I don't understand why my, my relationship ended. Or they're sad about that, right? Another way they come in is workplace stuff. Somebody files a lawsuit against them. They get fired. They lose their money because they're behaving badly in the workplace. So some event, something bad goes wrong in their life, especially something that makes them look bad, like a relationship Mm. ending or losing their money or losing their job. Those are the things that will get them into therapy. Once they get into therapy... The probability is that they're going to drop out of therapy pretty quickly. Narcissistic people are about 60% more likely to drop out of therapy prematurely. So especially when we start going into deeper emotional stuff. So when you really start trying to grind in, that's when they're saying, yeah, no, no, thank you. And really, they wanted to come in and sort of complain to someone for about three to six weeks. And then when it really starts, meaning doing the work, they grow less interested. Every so often there's that, that narcissistic unicorn who says they actually commit to doing the work and they say, I have hurt so many people. And they'll even say though, the daily work, like they'll say, I see that I hurt a lot of people. I know that wasn't nice, but I actually don't like having to be bothered with being nice to everyone. And this is really exhausting for me. So they'll wow. notice the, how exhausting it is for them. They don't like it, but they will recognize that, for example, sometimes when they become parents, that they're sometimes they notice that they're harming their kids. They may try to step up then. Um, But it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. It almost never happens.
0: So it is possible to be like a self-aware narcissist, but even if you're self-aware, maybe treatment doesn't really stick. I think it's actually,
1: it's a a special place in hell. Like it's a special hell to be a self-aware narcissist. Mm -hmm. And in that, I mean that you almost know that I'm hurting people I don't like feeling this way, but in the same breath, they'll say, and I don't want to listen to other people's feelings. This is so tedious and boring. <laughs> and so they'll just feel like, and I'll say, but you have to not only listen, you have to be present and be willing to have empathy. And some have said to me, and I remember one case in particular, he said, and that's how I'll be a better, like, like and a better. It's not because like, he has a disease. I say, you really do need to be present and available and mindful, he's like, you know what, then I'm done. And he got a divorce. He broke up with the lady he was having an affair with. He moved in by himself. And he's like, I'm just hiring someone to have sex with. I am not doing this anymore. He's like, I can't do it. He's like, I can't do it. And I can't be bothered. And it doesn't feel important to me.
0: That is fascinating. So I know there's a lot of different terminology related to narcissism. If you don't mind, can I just list some off and then you can give a brief explanation? Awesome. So uh, what is gaslighting?
1: So gaslighting is the denial of the reality of another person with the goal of confusing them, filling them with self-doubt and being able to continue holding power over them. Classic gaslighting statements are things like that never happened. I never said that um, you're being too sensitive. Stop making such a big deal out of this. And gaslighting is not a one-off. It happens over time. Sometimes it's little things like, Oh God, you're being so sensitive. And the person who's being gaslighted starts internalizing that. Like maybe I am too sensitive because that's what we tend to do. We tend to try to healthy people. Do Mm -hmm. try to notice like what if this might be me? And since things keep happening over and over again, and you're having all this strong emotion in this relationship, you start believing their hype that you're too sensitive. As part of gaslighting, people may even accuse someone of being mentally ill. Oh, it seems like someone's quite paranoid or is your memory okay? Maybe we need to see a doctor. But mm-hmm. they're doing that to destabilize the person and be able to hold power and be able to hold dominance in a relationship as it were. And that's what gaslighting is.
0: Okay. And then what is hoovering? How might a narcissist Hoover somebody? What does that mean? So
1: Hoover hoovering, the Hoover is a vacuum cleaner, (laughs) it's sucking someone back into a relationship. So Mm. the narcissistic relationship cycle has very clear, sort of a clear architecture to it. There's the love bombing phase and, you know, falling in with a narcissist is actually unlike, it's so, it's, it's, you get swept away and everything happens so quickly. And like 10 days in, you're going on a vacation on the other side of the world. People move in too quickly. Everything happens quick, quick, quick. It's a real mark of a narcissistic relationship.
0: Mm.
1: Well, the love bomb period happens lasts anywhere from four to 12 weeks, then starts the devaluing period where there's a little bit more of the, the sniping, the gaslighting, like this big, bright love bombing experience. You had like, what just happened. And now it's almost as though just when you commit to something with them, just when they sort of know they have you, they devalue you. Mm. The phase after devaluing is discarding. Now, discarding can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes they literally leave, they break up. Sometimes they cheat. Sometimes they keep comparing you to other people like, oh, my ex didn't do this or my this didn't do that or this this lady at work and who's like this. Or they, they'll, It'll be a lot of comparison. But in this process, it's like they're no longer present, whether they're literally not present, but they don't feel present. And sometimes the discard is, it accumulates so much that the person leaves the relationship themselves. Once the relationship is no longer there, Remember, narcissists love novelty. They love the chase. They love the win. They love the hunt. Mm-hmm. So once you're gone out of their life, they suck you back in. That's the hoovering. And it becomes love bomb part two. For them, oh. it's exciting to think if they can win. You know, can I draw them back in? I send them a late night text. Hey, baby, just thinking about you. And people, and I, I was so wrong. I can't believe I treated you so badly. I was going through some really bad stuff you know, I'm so sorry, you deserve so much better than me. And then people respond, uh, you know, maybe tentatively, but then narcissistic people are masterful. And when it comes to manipulation, and then they slowly start sucking the person in, whole cycle starts again.
0: Oh, wow. Um, and what is bread crumbing?
1: So breadcrumbing crumbing that. is that in a narcissistic relationship, it's part of the devaluing phase, you start going on less and less. So it's sort of, they will, um, you will start thinking that it's okay that we haven't take the pandemic out. It's okay that we haven't left the house and eaten out of anything but takeout containers for twelve weeks. You know, um, wow. They actually said they were thinking about me once this week. Oh, I'm so excited. So it's like oh, wow. so little is being given, and so every little breadcrumb, like not they're they're neglectful, they're cold, they're callous, they're dismissive, and then there's a like, hey, just think about you, babe. And they're like, oh, they're really into me. And the person's like staring at their phone as though this was, I mean, it's just because it happens so rarely, even the littlest things almost get overheld. And then the person uses those little things to justify all of the um, behavior in the relationship. And then I've also heard scapegoating, so scapegoating tends to be something that we observe in narcissistic family systems, and the scapegoated person is usually the person who's getting the worst of the narcissist. So the scapegoated person becomes the narcissistic person's punching bag. They become the person who gets the um, the criticism of the of the narcissistic person. They become the person who is um, almost the butt of the jokes, and becomes the receptacle for all of the narcissist rage. So the scapegoat almost gets, it's as though the scapegoat is the person that the narcissistic person projects the worst of themselves onto. It's as though the narcissist, imagine it's a narcissistic parent. In the scapegoat, they see things about themselves that they don't like, a certain weakness or something like that. So the narcissistic, or maybe they resemble someone they don't like, who knows? But that the narcissistic parent then will project all of this, the negative stuff about themselves onto that scapegoated person and it's 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 a tremendous toll to be the scapegoat in a family system
0: smear campaign what is a smear campaign
1: so narcissistic people don't like to lose when it comes to relationships and they definitely don't like to look bad so what will happen especially as a narcissistic relationship is on the rocks or there's conflict or even ends the narcissistic person will often go and reach out to what are called flying monkeys which are people who who are you both likely knew if you, mm. you assuming both of you had some their family members their friends whatever and the narcissist will start reaching out to all of them and saying i just hope you know what this person's like and da 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 so they'll say all these terrible things about you and these people hearing these terrible things and once having had an affiliation with both of you believe them because you're not reaching out and saying this stuff mm. and that that now all of a sudden the person who was ended or out of or whatever impacted by this narcissistic relationship is noticing everyone's distanced no one's returning their calls a lot more people are cold some people are even saying wow you didn't give that person a fair shake this can happen not just in intimate relationships but in family relationships let's say somebody has a narcissistic parent and say enough i am setting a boundary that parent will then often spread lies, smear campaign and say, can you believe it? I just went to them and asked for them, asked them for a little help with a doctor's appointment. And they just rejected me. Well, that's not a very nice story, but it's much, much more completely unrelated to that. And then before you know it, people are saying, how could you be so cruel to your parent? That's terrible. I can't believe you don't respect your own parent or family first and all this other stuff. And the person in the relationship saying you've got to be kidding me. Sadly, during these smear campaigns, you really do learn who's got your back. Mm. And sometimes you realize that, wow, I'm not just losing the narcissist. I'm going to have to lose all these other people too. And then
0: baiting. This will be the final one. There's so many terms, but I encourage everybody listening to go to Dr. Romani's YouTube channel because there's all kinds of explanations. But yeah, we'll end with baiting before we move on.
1: So remember, narcissists love a fight. Fighting is their ground game. They love fights. They love chaos, all of that. Baiting is when they drop something, hoping that you'll take the bait you know, whether it's a criticism, whether it's an innuendo, whether it's an accusation, something. And then you might take that bait. They might make a comment. So a great example of baiting is you'll say, okay, I'm, I can be stronger than this. I don't care what they say about me. But then they start making comments about a beloved friend or family member. Boom. You go in, they get mm. their fight.
0: Mm, okay. Gotcha. So
1: let's say that
0: someone has recognized that they're in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic tendencies or NPD, and they've decided they want to leave the relationship. Mm -hmm. What are the best steps for that person to take to leave the relationship as safely as possible?
1: So first of all, it is a safety assessment. I am going to just for the sake of this podcast, I don't want to go too down that rabbit hole Mm -hmm. assume that this is not a physically abusive, violent relationship, at least not physically violent. Um, That said, that um i tell people that you really want to have your plan in place this is not something you want to do on a whim like have like if you live with somebody get some of those important things you need out of there make sure you have funds to be able to pay for wherever you're going to go make sure you have therapy as a support to talk about this because that moment of separation can feel really really scary and some people are so scared that they end up not seeing it through um again, I'm going to use sort of the intimate relational frame here because it doesn't fit as well in the family relationship. Um, I would also make sure that you've got your plan in place before you leave. Like, where are you going to go? Where are you going to be? You don't want to be driving around the streets trying to find a hotel or something like that. Like you really want to have a plan set. And ideally maybe something you've organized with a friend who may not have a relationship with your partner. So you're, that you're not, um, they're not feeling that they're affected by it um if there are safety issues you may if at the point you're going to leave you may need to have someone with you you know something like that just to make sure that you know everything's okay but even that's not a guarantee but that could be a a place to start and um and then if you have if this is going to be a divorce if you have kids you have to be prepared for the fight of a lifetime it's going to be one of the hardest things you ever do
0: And so I also heard about that there's like a couple options with like going no contact or the gray rock method. Mm -hmm. And can Mm -hmm. you speak to some of those things as Mm -hmm. well?
1: So because narcissistic personality styles are so resistant to change, that there's really nothing you can say or do to be able to get these relationships to become a healthy place. Now, in some cases, people have the luxury of leaving. They do or they choose to leave. And the most extreme form of leaving is going no contact. You cut off all contact with that person. You, you, whether you block their phone number, don't receive their emails, don't tell them where you're going, they cannot get in touch with you, okay? Now, for a lot of relationships, that's simply not possible. If you're co-parenting, it's not possible. If it's a family member where you still have links to other family members of the system, it may not be possible. Um, the next level down is something we call gray rocking. Gray rocking can work whether you leave or stay in a relationship. It's exactly what it sounds like. A gray rock. What is a gray rock? Is the most uninteresting, unnoticeable kind of an object out there, right? Well, Mm -hmm. to gray rock means you make yourself completely inert, uninteresting, and boring. You give one word answers. You don't engage. You don't ask them how they're doing. You don't make accusations about their behavior. You have no interest in their life. So it would be like, yeah, sure. Didn't know that. Wow. Okay, like you, an app could have this relationship. You could just program right. it to say those things, right? And so it's gray rocking is where you don't, this way you can't get baited, right? Now, one okay. of the, the challenges with gray rocking is narcissistic people don't like when you gray rock because then they can't get to the arguments. They can't draw you into the mud. And a lot of people will report that once they start gray rocking, the actually the narcissistic person's agitation increases even more. One day they finally will get really bored with you and leave because they're not getting anything out of you. But you have to tolerate the roller coaster going up first. Okay,
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle.
1: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: And so what, like, what are narcissists getting out of treating people this way? What do they get in return? Is it power? Is it just using people? I know that there's a term narcissistic supply as well. Um, what, what are they benefiting
1: from? So when a, person, when a narcissistic person treats a person badly, that's not so much a benefit for them in most cases other than the malignant narcissists who are trying to keep power but by and large they actually don't like that they look so unhinged it's not a good look right to look unhinged Mm -hmm. the blowing up and getting angry and raging is a manifestation of their insecurity of not getting their way of having um of feeling insecure in a relationship, of the potential fear of abandonment, of being made to look bad in public. Basically, the shame gets activated in them, and that leads to rage. And now they look bad because they're raging. So then they have more shame, and then they have more rage. So that's why that ends up happening. Yes, yeah, sure. In some cases, like I said, in malignant narcissistic cases, that's when they'll say, "You know, you ever do that to me again, and it'll feel very menacing." That's when they're probably using their rage to control someone. And there's a phenomenon called coercive control, where a person is sort of psychologically abused and kept stuck in a relationship because of this constant use of fear, financial abuse, you know, um, threatening other people that are close to the victim. Like they keep people in place that way. the, The more interesting question is actually, what do narcissists get from their relationships? And what they get is supply. Right? It's narcissistic supply, which is validation, admiration, being told they're great, being made to feel they're important, being the center of attention. Any, in any way, if that gets threatened or thrown off, then they don't like that. And that's when you'll also get some rage. If they feel like they're not the center of attention or somebody, um, somebody says, hey, 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 you know, sh- you need to stop talking. I- your wife is so interesting. There'll be a blow up when Game all those over. party guests mm. Exactly.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Many victims of narcissistic abuse have expressed concern with the fact that many narcissists will actually like publicly claim to be victims of narcissistic abuse when their victim escapes them, mm-hmm. um, especially because mm-hmm. the discard phase a narcissist mm-hmm. does to its victim and the going no contact method that a victim needs to do with a narcissist, they might look similar to an outsider. Mm-hmm. So how can someone on the outside of the narcissistic victim relationship figure out who the real narcissist is and who the victim is, if at all?
1: Is that possible? If you know both players in a relationship, you, I would say have them tell you the story, okay? Mm-hmm. Say, you know, tell me what, instead of like, who's who here, give me a program. It's more of a, tell me what happened. In many cases, the healthier person or the, the victim, for lack of a better word, will say, you know, this became, this became impossible, you know, I was constantly being controlled, I was um, being invalidated, I was chronically criticized, this person had so much contempt for me, like they will start showing I was gaslighted, The if then when you talk to the other person, the narcissistic person, they're more likely to give you a story full of accusation. They'll often make accusations like that person was a gold digger. That person was on the make. They were, I mean, they will really frame this person. It'll all be accusatory mm. rather than about the, the rhythms of the relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you have access yeah. to both people, that's what that would look like. But I agree yeah. with you. Many, 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 many narcissistic people out there Will weaponize the word against somebody who is not this way to say, Oh, can you believe what happened to me? I was narcissistically abused. Listen, you can it, it, narcissistic people have a certain look and feel to them. So if you know what you're looking for, and I think what the problem is the reason narcissists are so enabled is that we're also caught up in like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt are the four most dangerous words in the English language mm. because what it does is it gives people these the second chances when they've significantly betrayed trust. And it doesn't mean, and I'm a big believer that you can compassionately disengage. You can say, you know what? I don't think we're both bringing out the best in each other at this point. I don't think we're growing together anymore. Narcissist doesn't care. They're going to still scream at you no matter what you say, but you can compassionately step back from that and not engage. A narcissistic person will often put lots of passive aggressive stuff on social media. A healthy person won't do that.
0: Okay, gotcha. All very good to know. And I know there's a lot of stories out there too regarding like, you know, being involved with a narcissist that are pretty frightening, like stories about stalking and fraud and Mm -hmm. lying to police and cyber stalking and neglect and theft and emotional and verbal and physical abuse, defamation of character, so many really scary, serious stuff that people open about open up about that their narcissist maybe did to them. Does the person with narcissism feel like do they know that these things were wrong or are wrong and they just don't care? Or is it completely justified in their own head? and they truly believe they're doing the right or just thing.
1: So a big issue that comes up with um, people who are in relationships with narcissistic people, is like, do they know that these things they're doing are bad? Mm. Do they get that they're lies, they're fraud, they're they're defaming me on social media? Do they get this? This is where it's important to understand the impulsivity piece of narcissism. When the narcissist shame and insecurity... Are pinged, they're not thinking about anything. They are thinking about this absolutely blind idea of defending themselves at any cost. They don't care what they have to do. It's because remember, there is a singular obsession with narcissistic people, and that's winning. They have to win. They cannot be the ones who look like they were played. The idea of getting played for a narcissist is a nightmare. So they do all of those things to avoid that sense. Now, after the fact, if someone's like, that wasn't okay what you did wasn't okay, immediately the narcissist is going to say, well, let me tell you what that other person did. They never cop to what they're being held to task for. They always deflect and make it about, well, they were this and they were that and that one, this and that one, that, but they never ever are able to reflect on their behavior."
0: Okay, and then let's say someone displays textbook signs of narcissism, um, and maybe a loved one wants to talk to them about their narcissism. Should you ever try to talk to a narcissist about their narcissism?
1: No. Okay, and what absolutely not? (laughs) Why is that? Because they're the the narcissistic people are by definition extremely defensive. OK, mm. but by you calling them narcissistic, you're telling them they have a flaw and they don't like having flaws is they will immediately rage, gaslight, tell you you're the narcissist, go into this big word salad tantrum where you can't even understand what they're talking about. Pretty much do everything short of froth at the mouth. So mm. they will go completely off the deep end. It's not worth it because not only did you not get anywhere with this conversation, you now have to experience the exhaustion of that whole tirade. Mm. So there's no getting through to them. Sadly, the main way life gets through to the narcissist is when everything goes wrong for them. They have to sort of hit their proverbial rock bottom. They Mm. have to lose the family. They have to get the lawsuit. They have to, they have to do the terrible thing as it were. And only then and, when, and, and then there has to be real consequences. Maybe they have to go to jail. Maybe they have to lose all their money. Maybe they have to lose their reputation. Only then might you get to see in some of these cases a tiny bit of being contrite.
0: Okay. And what kind of personality types do narcissists tend to go after when they're looking for a person or people to control?
1: They look for people they can control. And mm-hmm. so personality type, That might be someone who's deeply empathic. So that deeply empathic person is always going to be giving them benefit of the doubt, showing them empathy, giving them supply. They look for rescuers, people who like to help people. Oh, you don't have a car. Is that why you can't? Oh, take my car. I'll take the bus. Or, oh, you don't have a place to stay? no worries. Why don't you just move into my place? So the people, who I'll introduce you to my friend or my uncle, he's got a company. So it's that, that rescuer type of thing. They look for people who are deeply forgiving, almost to a fault. Uh, To forgive is divine. I forgive anyone no matter what they do. They will then climb in there and say, boom, I can get away with anything I want, Mm. and I'm going to face no consequences. They look for people. One thing that narcissistic people are very good at doing is this sort of mirroring and emulating. Early in the relationship, they'll seem really empathic, like, tell me, tell me what's your greatest fear? you think you're having this intimate conversation that's intel they're figuring out what those fears are they're putting them in some sort of strange vault in their brain and then they pull those things out you might say you know what i've always struggled with my weight and then before you know it, in the devalue phase like someone's put on a little bit of weight boom they've taken your vulnerability they've turned it into a weapon so they look for people who are very vulnerable and willing to share um then they look for people who are going through transitions People are going through a divorce or a breakup, who've moved to a new city, people who haven't quite found their footing, who are reliant on them or vulnerable in some way, have far less money than them or something like far less status. They find those people that they know that they're gonna be able to control through whatever they've got. So if somebody doesn't have money and they meet a narcissist who does, the narcissist knows, they'll probably be able to control them with money. Very quickly, they might say, oh, baby, why do not you quit your job? I got you. Like You shouldn't be wasting your time in that job. You're my baby. I love you. And then before you know it, you're fully being financially controlled by this person. Oh,
0: wow. And then I saw on your YouTube channel that gift giving and narcissism can have a quite interesting connection. Can you explain why receiving gifts from a narcissist can be a bit complicated?
1: receiving gifts from a narcissist is just basically you voluntarily setting yourself up for manipulation because whether it's an hour later or 10 years later, they're going to say, well, I guess, you know, I bought you all those gifts and I did all that for you and this is all I get for it. And so their narcissistic people are incredibly transactional. Okay. To them, relationships are about, I give you this, you give me that. Sometimes the transaction is around narcissistic supply. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's status. Sometimes it's sex, but it's all very transactional. They don't like the idea, this idea that you just love someone and you're there for them, you give to them, that, that works for them receiving that from you, but not them giving that back to someone else. So a gift is no different than that, right? They, they, to them, gifts are a way to control. I've given you all these gifts. Gifts are a way of getting supply. You walking around on Instagram saying, look what my generous partner gave me. Um, gifts are a way of expressing grandiosity. But there's so many functions that gift-giving can serve for a narcissistic person. Um, Gift-giving can also be a place of cruelty, like, oh, really? So you want this for me? That's a very expensive gift. And now you feel sort of humiliated or ashamed where they might have sort of baited you. And then when you say, well, sure, that sounds like a really pretty gift, like, I knew it, you were a gold digger. So it all becomes a manipulation. And so it's a very fraught space. One of the most unwise things a person could ever do is take a gift from a narcissist.
0: Wow, so if you if you believe that maybe somebody in your life is a narcissist and they're offering you or trying to give you a gift, how could you maneuver your way out of that? Just say, oh, no, no, thanks.
1: <laughs> you no don't word. say, I am so grateful to you. Thank you so yeah. much. And you just try to get out. You're gonna have to play their game for a minute and say like, yeah. you know what? I am so good. Like, I am actually not a super, you know, like somebody who wants this, this kind of thing. I'd actually just love the time with you. I'd love that you, you know, spend that on something that has meaning to you. They'll rage it because now what you've done is you've rejected them. There's no getting around this. Like, you, you, if you accept the gift, they'll manipulate you about the gift forever. If you reject the gift, you've rejected them. You cannot win. That's the mantra of the narcissistic relationship. You cannot win.
0: Um, And I know you mentioned the devaluation phase, like maybe in a romantic relationship. Is there something particular that can trigger that phase? How do they move from love bombing to devaluation? Does something usually happen, or is it just kind of a natural course of time?
1: Once they know you're in and you've settled in, and that can usually either happen because you've moved in together. You've exchanged, I love you's. Maybe you've moved to the city where they live. Now that you're like a butterfly that they've caught under glass, you're not going anywhere. Mm. And at that moment, they're like, checkmate and not interesting anymore.
0: Okay, gotcha. So it's kind of like, it's, they get a bit bored. <laughs> is that, is so, it like yeah, they, kind they of get bored, bored and then yeah. it's like
1: a game? Okay. Narcissistic supply gets very stale to narcissists. They're, they're novelty seekers. That's why they cheat. That's why they always want the next big shiny thing. They really do need novelty. Then people say, well, do they ever get into long-term relationships? All the time, because it makes them look good to society. So they'll want the marriage that lasted a long time. What a stable person. They've been in a relationship for a long time, but they will get bored with that relationship Mm. and they will be cheating and whatever else. Maybe it's drugs. However, they get their jollies outside of that relationship.
0: Okay. So is it possible to have a successful relationship with a narcissist then? Or it might look a certain way, but the reality of the situation is never
1: truly healthy. It depends on what you mean by successful. My answer, my short answer to that would be no, because a relationship with a narcissistic person is one that's devoid of respect. It's Mm -hmm. devoid of mutuality, reciprocity, compassion, kindness, consistency, growth. You don't have any of those things. So it's very transactional. It tends to be very controlling. Um, it is, it, there's just really no there there. And so I don't see, I mean, but I think some people get stuck because they have kids, because they become financially dependent, because their culture would look very badly upon them if they, um, if they would step out of the relationship because they're afraid of being single, whatever the reasons are. But it, it's not because they're not saying because of the healthiness of it.
0: Um, how do narcissists really feel about themselves underneath this facade that they kind of portray for other people?
1: I've had that, that rare opportunity with some narcissistic clients where we go there, and they mm-hmm. feel absolutely terrible. It is they they are it is despair, it is disgust, it is anguish. it is it's despair. It's probably the best word I can use. They don't feel good about themselves very rarely do people get to peer behind that curtain. Though, I mean, that's sometimes Mm. after years of working with a narcissistic client, when the bottom finally falls through, falls out. Do I really get to hear that moment of despair? What, how it manifests to the world is when those despair moments get activated as rage, as really noisy arrogance, They, they get angry and people see that as this irritability and anger, but the way they, think of themselves, very so often they'll tell that truth of like, I am such a blah, 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 you know, terrible person or whatever. But they, they the problem with narcissism is how unconscious these conflicts are, right? All this stuff I'm talking about, insecurity, they're not aware of that. If you went up to a narcissist and say, I think you're very insecure, then they'd throw a tantrum. You know what the hell you're talking about? You're the one who's insecure, blah, 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 blah. They'd never, ever, ever cop to it, ever. Like If you called me insecure right now, I'd be like, heck yeah, so insecure. And I'm willing to <laughs> list the ways to you right now. You right. Know? And I know that my insecurities sometimes mean that I don't behave optimally because I, I live with them. I'm the best friends with my insecurities. They're not. They need to view themselves as perfect and they need the world. To view them as perfect.
0: And so, what are what are the common signs or symptoms um, somebody might experience, like when they're healing from a narcissistic relationship? Let's say they've left and now they're going about their life. What might they be experiencing on a day to day from like that kind of traumatic situation that they endured?
1: Ongoing confusion, lots of self doubt, difficulty making decisions. Symptoms that feel almost obsessive compulsive because they felt so out of control that they might get overly caught up in routines, rigid routines and order. A sense of helplessness and that nothing they do can really change things for them. A sense of hopelessness that things aren't going to get better. There might be problems with sleep. They might be having physical, all kinds of physical symptoms, tension symptoms. They may feel very anxious. They may not get the same kinds of joys out of life that they once did. They may have a real sense of apathy of like, why bother? I mean, it's it's not a pretty picture because people are so confused when these leave, they leave these relationships. There's a lot of grief because there's grief over time lost. There's grief over lost experiences. There's self-blame and self-anger. People will spend months, years, decades sometimes saying, this was my fault. I was too stupid to see this. And I tell everyone, why would you have known this? Unless I mean, listen, the majority of graduate programs don't even have a course on narcissism. So wow. I say, unless you, because the, my videos are relatively new. I mean, no one was really writing about this or talking about this other than in a very researchy way, and definitely not in a sort of high conflict way until maybe the last 10 to 15 years. And so nobody talked about this. I've talked to people who've been married for 40 years and said, I didn't know this was a thing. The minute you described it to me, every puzzle piece fit, they got out. But they said, for the first 38 years, I didn't even know this was a way, a thing, a way to be. So that people really, they blame themselves and it's not their fault. You know, to, that's like if, it's like blaming yourself for getting hit, for being in the way of a punch instead okay. of blaming the, the assailant.
0: Okay. And let's say, you know, somebody listening right now, maybe they believe they have narcissism or NPD and they do want to seek treatment. Mm -hmm. What would be their first step? Do they need to like see a specialist? What could they do if they did want to take that step?
1: I would say therapy would be very important and to be self-aware in therapy. Interestingly, if the average person went into therapy and said, Hey, therapist, I think I'm narcissistic and I want to work on it. The therapist probably wouldn't believe them because they'd say, well, nobody would ever admit to it, right? So I almost tell people, don't say that part of it. Talk about Uh. the patterns in your life that are raising concerns. The second thing I'd say is you need to learn to become self-aware, self-reflective, and mindful in everything you do. Every time you open your mouth, before you do it, even if it feels like you're in one of those delays where the words don't match up to the mouth, but every time, stop. Catch yourself and ask yourself what I'm about to say. Could this hurt the other person? Am I being very clear? And am I accounting for their point of view? And only then should you speak. Hmm. And when you're feeling angry, find new ways to regulate. Say, I'm just going to take a little walk, or I'm going to run on the treadmill, or I'm going to do my breathing exercises. You don't get to rage at other people anymore. You learn to wait in lines. You don't yell at grocery store clerks. You stop. De- you 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 learn to get that contempt under control, and stop thinking you've got all the answers and everyone else is more stupid than you. You learn to empathize, and you practice that empathy a hundred times a day. Those are the steps you have to take.
0: Mm, that is, yeah, that's great. Um, and then let's say somebody listening has just left a narcissist and they're really experiencing the, the smear campaign. They're hearing about all the lies about them coming out and all this stuff. What would you say to somebody who's experiencing that right now, um, you know, to offer some kind of comfort or words of wisdom about that situation?
1: So if you're in that situation where you're sort of facing down a smear campaign, it's incredibly painful because it feels almost like a new trauma or re-traumatization. This may not give people solace, but if somebody could hear a smear campaign and believe it, I don't know that they were one of your people in the first place. Mm. This really becomes a time of cleaning house. Listen, if somebody somebody was subjected to hearing those things about you, they could have called you up and say, listen, I want to talk to you. I just heard something today and um, I want to share it with you because it's not you. They could hear yeah. it and they can say, can we talk about this? And then- you could have that conversation, but for people to buy a hook, line, and sinker and cut you out, they were never your people. Right. And so, it's the it, it's it's the like I said, once you identify the narcissist in your life, you're going to realize they're not the only one. It's like termites, you know. It's mm-hmm. nobody has one termite, you know. They're just the right. whole house. And okay. so, you have to be very honest that it may be time to say if you were able to fall for that, then you were never ever noticing me you never you never really saw me and it might be time for us to part ways mm. you know that really it's about valuing yourself enough to know that say it might may, maybe that I once thought I had 50 people in my life now I have about eight but if there are eight good quality people, it's more than enough. The, turns out that 50 was a was an illusion. Anyhow, um, it sometimes means cultivating new social support networks for yourself, ones that are separate from the narcissist. Part of the way the narcissistic person exerts their control is sort of overtaking all areas of your life, and mm. you know, get encroaching themselves into your friend's life, into your family's life. It really, again, it's it's a real test, and it's not an easy one. But like I said, it could be a wake up call.
0: Wow, and uh, the final question. Thank you so much. This has been <laughs> incredible. I mean, the whole thing, like the what the narcissist is experiencing about how they feel about themselves, and mm-hmm. also what the person in you know in a relationship with the narcissist is experiencing. It's all very, it's all very sad. It's like sad mm-hmm. both ways. Mm-hmm. How can we both? How can we hold compassion for both the narcissist mm-hmm. and for the person in the relationship with the narcissist, and hold that, hold both of that when we might come into contact with people who have narcissism?
1: So holding compassion doesn't mean justifying. Mm. I'm willing to, I'm willing to say, hold all the compassion you want. Just don't justify the danger of people like, I want to be compassionate. And they didn't really mean it. You can be compassionate and they said it. You have mm. to tolerate that discomfort of like, I want to be compassionate. This person just did something terrible. You just need to sit with that discomfort and not justify away their bad behavior. That's the real danger that people who are really trying to practice compassion. I think compassion is great. And I can say, it, I always say it's compassion from a distance. If I watch somebody behaving narcissistically, I'm saying, wow, that person is so deeply insecure. And as a result, they're very dangerous. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk smack about them, but I'm going to get out of here. Right. So I'm not going to engage them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to let them in. I'm going to set up a force field of a boundary. I'm not, But I'm not going to disparage them. I'm not going to scream at them. I'm not going to yell at them. I'm not going to smear campaign them. I'm just not going to engage with them. That's the way you can be compassionate. I think too many people think compassionate means I need to be nice to them. No, you don't even need to engage with them. Just step right. away. Right.
0: Such words of wisdom. Dr. Romani, thank you so much for being Mm -hmm. here today. Where can people find you and continue this conversation?
1: So please go to my YouTube channel because I have videos on every single topic we've talked about today, not just at Dr. Romani. I'm on all social media at Dr. Romani, D-O-C-T-O-R-R-A-M-A-N-I. You can go to my website, which is drromani.com, and then you'll be able to find everything sort of organized in one place, my books, my videos, various podcasts that i've been on um appearances all of that as well as information about we have monthly seminars that allow people to do a really deep dive into some of the topics and usually after most of the seminars we give people sort of books and workbooks to to work with to continue the process
0: Wow. It, does your mind feel blown or what? That was just so informative. Thank you so much again to Dr. Romani for coming on the show today. I do you want to wrap up with the iTunes review of the episode. This is from 36 jh 36 So funny and relatable. I am hooked on this podcast and have started binging older episodes. It is perfect to listen to while working from home or as part of your own self-care routine. Kelsey, Taylor, and Delaney are so relatable, sharing perspectives that will show you you're not alone while also encouraging you to shift your mindset to one of growth and confidence. I love the variety of topics, guests, and book reviews. Thanks, ladies. Thank you so much, 36. Uh, We really appreciate that. Um, If you want to go ahead and leave a review, you can head over to iTunes and your review might get read on the next episode. So again, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Self-Helpless Podcast. If you want to vote on topics for the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash self-helpless. This episode was voted on by our community and feel free to email us if there are certain topics that you'd love to be covered on the show, if there are certain guests that you would love to hear certain experts, feel free to email us at self at gmail.com. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at self helpless Podcast so we can repost you and say thank
1: you. Thank yeah. you.